With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. You're listening to Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. G'day, g'day. Welcome to the program. I hope you're well. You've uh, come at a very good time because we've got breaking news, we've got developing news, and we've got issues that need to be jumped on, and we'll be doing all of that over the next two hours. So welcome indeed. Now, the economic forum has ended in what I think is probably in tears because they've allowed two traitors into the quorum, into the House of Elites, to give them a lesson in what they're doing wrong. Now, we know about the Argentinian president. He performed admirably only a week and a half ago. Well, just in the closing stages of the WEF, in walked a fellow by the name of Kevin Roberts, a fellow who was once described as a cowboy Catholic. And didn't he put them in their place? Just like uh, Javier Malay, they sat there. You couldn't hear anything you could you could have heard a pin drop no one said a thing no one moved in their seat because just like Millay, kevin roberts told them what's wrong with their organization and uh, he was a little bit more forthright than even the argentinian libertarian so we'll get to that very shortly on the program um i'm going to catch up with stuart uh hooper shortly stuart is a, a fellow who can be described as a geopolitical analyst and a fellow who's got his uh, fingers on all the buttons, including the presidential race and the GOP. And now we know that Ron DeSantis has decided to exit stage right, and there are now two left. And I noticed that even Donald Trump decided to become rather warm to Ron now that Ron has departed, even saying that he would drop the name Ron de Sanctimonious, which is very kind of him. Boy, can't they rip each other to bits and then pally up at the end? Amazing kind of fortitude. Um, we'll talk about all of that. And now that DeSantis is out, can Nikki Haley uh, formulate some kind of challenge to Donald Trump? I don't think so, but many do. So we'll talk about that with Stuart. We want to also discuss Gaza, and in particular, the latest moves to try and release more hostages, a deal which has now collapsed in the last few hours. So we'll discuss that and a whole heap more. Stuart Hooper coming onto the program very shortly. From down under today, national security expert and Liberal Party Defence Chair Lincoln Parker will go through the biggest stories in the Southern Hemisphere. Now, Lincoln believes that Australia has bungled the request from Ukraine for a fleet of Taipan helicopters, and he'll explain why. He'll have plenty to say about these two major woke sporting organisations in Australia who refuse to recognise the fact that this Friday is Australia Day. Can you imagine something similar, say the NFL, uh, the American tennis organisation, turning around and saying, well, on the 4th of July, we won't be mentioning that event. Can you imagine the uproar? No one would even envisage going down that path in the United States. But in Australia, because we have so many progressives and woke do-gooders who want to say sorry again to Indigenous Australians because of something that happened 
1778, that is the arrival of the English in colonialism. We've got to continually say sorry for that. And so therefore, there'll be no recognition of Australia Day, not at the Australian Open or at the Test Cricket where Australia plays the West Indies. It is disgraceful, absolutely disgraceful. And all the polls show that the vast majority of Australians want to embrace Australia Day and will be doing so this Friday, except when you go to the Australian Open and when you go to the Test Cricket where Australia plays West Indies. Can you believe this stuff? They live in a completely and utterly parallel world. Um, we'll talk with Lincoln about all of that and uh, plenty more. Now, Renee Heath, the uh, Victorian Parliament's MP for Eastern Victoria, is on deck today. There's some woeful evidence published in Melbourne's main uh, tabloid newspaper, The Herald Sun, about how a major road project, which has blown out in cost by $26 billion, yes, you heard right, $26 billion. that's the blowout, that's not the cost of the project, um, well, they've decided to give big, fat bonuses to the executives in charge of it. What for? Talk about not caring about taxpayers' money. We'll discuss that story and the fact that Renee's own party, the Liberal Party, has decided to block a treaty for Indigenous Australians. So we'll ask her why that would be the case. And when was the last time, especially for my Australian audiences who will understand exactly what I mean, the ice cream ban that came around to the suburbs? Um, there was a time in the 70s and 80s where you would see a Mr Whippy regularly on Saturday and Sunday afternoons. I remember it well as a kid. You know, you'd finish mowing the lawn or swimming in the pool and all of a sudden you'd hear green sleeves, the uh, the theme for the Mr Whippy, and you'd run out and buy your five-cent ice creams or whatever they cost then. Have you seen Mr Whippy of late? So we'll talk about that with Renee because there's been a search for Mr Whippy in Victoria. Some uh, little bit of fun there as well. And, of course, we've got time for you. You can uh, call in on the talkback lines and let us have it. Tell us what's on your mind and what you are most concerned about. And you can do so from the United States or Canada on 1-888-201-6425. From the UK, 033-0024-1026. And from Australia or New Zealand, 1-800-670-310. Looking forward to having a chat with you and hearing what you've got to say. But let's get into it. You're with Chris Smith, broadcasting live on the Global News Talk Network. This is TNT. Giving you what you want. I want the fact. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, the World Economic Forum has wound up for another year. Thank heavens for that. Any more lectures about the benefits of open borders? Any more lectures about spending trillions to change the temperature of the planet? And how we need to assist children change their sex? If I hear any of that again, I think I'll vomit. Uh, every time I heard a snippet from these unelected and mainly government-backed elites, I kept thinking these people cannot be on the same planet that I reside. Surely they're from some outer space region that I've yet discovered. Anyway, just when I thought that the Argentinian president, Javier Malay, was the only voice of reason and reality in Davos, Switzerland, along came a conservative comrade in the final hours of the same conference to give the WEF Marxists another wake-up call. Um, another one virtually slipped through the net. 
Now, whoever compiled the speakers list for the WEF conference in 2024 may not have a job or may not be asked to turn up in 2025. If Malay's speech was the most remarkable ever delivered by a political history, by a political leader in the history of WEF conferences, and that is not my word, uh, that is not my sentence, it came from some of those who were there, the words expressed by the president of the Heritage Foundation, Kevin Roberts, on a fiery anti-Trump panel was very close second and maybe even on top of the list. In one of the final sessions of the conference, Roberts confronted the attendees, challenging claims that the WEF was protecting democracy. This was what the speakers were saying. We're doing our best to protect democracy. Who are they? They're not, they're not even elected. They wouldn't even know how to spell democracy. Anyway, this is how he opened up. This is our good friend, um, Robert. Uh, I've forgotten his name already, would you believe? Um, yes, Kevin Roberts. Kevin, get it right. Um, this is how Kevin opened. And you could tell from his opening shot on this panel, which was so anti-Trump it wasn't funny, you could tell that he was um, he was about to dig in. He was about to tell a few home truths. Uh, have a listen to, why, to the way he opened and how the crowd fell silent. The thing that I want to drive home here, the very reason that I'm here at Davos, is to explain to many people in this room and who are watching, with all due respect, nothing personal, but that you're part of the problem. Political elites tell the average people on three or four or five issues that the reality is X, when in fact reality is Y. How true is that? We think a certain way, and anything we hear from the WEF is in exactly the opposite polarity. How often have we discussed that on this program, or have you noticed that just from reading and listening to what you do? Often, frequently, um, which is why I scratch my head, actually, when I hear anything from the mouth of WEF Chair Klaus Schwab, because when God created Klaus, I reckon ears were an option because he does not listen. He could not listen to anyone outside of his elite bubble when you have a look at closely at what he says. Anyway, Roberts, now I remembered his name, Kevin Roberts this time. I, I, I don't remember his name because I haven't followed him too much. He's not part of, you know, some of the major spokesmen around the world on this subject. He's come out of nowhere for me. But Kevin Rob Roberts jumped onto a number of key issues and it was like someone was driving a monster truck through the middle of the conference hall. It was that full of impact. He started on immigration policy. Elites tell us that open borders and even illegal immigration are okay. The average person tells us in the United States that both rob them of the American way of life. They're right. They are right. It robs them of the American way of life. It takes their jobs. Uh, in the case of New York, it takes their public utilities, it takes their parks, it takes their resources, uh, and Roberts is no dummy. He's got a BA in history, a master's in arts history, and a PhD in American history. He's been president of the Wyoming Catholic College, CEO of the Texas Policy uh, Foundation, and is now in charge of the most influential conservative activist think tank in America, the Heritage Foundation. Uh, he had plenty to say about global boiling crucially explaining how the remedy for global boi boiling, as pushed by the WEF, was way more deadly. 
Elites tell us that we, we have this existential crisis with so-called climate change, so much so that climate alarmism is probably the greatest cause for mental health crisis in the world. The solutions the average person know based on climate change are far worse and more harmful and cost more human lives, especially in Europe during the time that you need heating than do the problem and the problems themselves. So true. So true. When you go all out, full bore, in pretending that you can change the temperature of the planet because you think you must, that down the track technology won't solve that problem, if it is a problem, and you do so by spending trillions of dollars, mainly from Western nations, something's got to be wrong. Um, of course, burning up multiple trillions on a modelled theory and making energy truly unaffordable is what I've said many times on this program, is a suicide mission. It is. But he left the best until last, clobbering those present who supported the WHO on the organization's twisted theories on gender. Another supranational organization, the World Health Organization, is discussing foisting gender ideology upon the global South. These are practices that are under review, if not being rejected, by countries in Northern Europe. The new president, especially if it's President Trump, will, as you like to say, trust the science. He will understand the basic biological reality of manhood and womanhood. And do you know why? Not because of retribution, not because he's a dictator, but because he has the power of the American people behind him. How's that? Remember the name Kevin Roberts. I forgot it. I won't be forgetting it from now on. You can't forget it. Kevin Roberts is his name. He went on to frighten the hell out of the liberal elites there by saying that the next conservative president will have a mandate to take on the power of the elites. In other words, i.e. the WEF. And that's no conspiracy. It's no state secret. Donald Trump has been vowing to destroy the grasp that the political elites and unelected technocrats have over the forgotten people. He said it many times. Uh, Trump was not at Davos, but the way I saw it, it was like as if Kevin Roberts was there to deliver a short, sharp prelude to the Trump storm that was rolling in over the WEF. The WEF has had a couple of very stark doses of reality this past week, and I bet it hurt. This is TNT. Now, as we move into an election year in US politics at a time when the Western empire is under attack from within, as if an orchestrated decline is the plan, whilst at the same time, the rise of BRICS nations represents a rise of a new multipolar order. Institutions that have controlled the world are at last being questioned for their behavior and their failures. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And the proof shall set us free. Those two statements sit at opposite ends of the zeitgeist in a world that is filled with death, destruction, deceit, and a wholesale unwillingness to hold anyone in power to account except for anyone who takes power against the ruling elite, of course. And then we have seen how that system works. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk TNT. Affordable housing, we can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. 
At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification, five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are Opportunity Zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular. We can build that. Today's News Talk Radio. Come on, let the man talk. We never censor our hosts. Good. Now, talk. Uncensored News. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Just a quick postscript from one of our viewers, River, who's, uh, I think, watching from Scotland and likes to contribute to our chat box on TNTradio.live. He makes the point, there seems to be a change with reporting Davos this year. Uh, a few seem to be going in an opposite direction. Well, I don't know whether that is the case with mainstream media, but certainly with those two prime speakers, it either tells me that the convener has got the invitation list all wrong and is about to get kicked out of the organisation, or they wanted a little bit of honesty, a little bit of common sense sprinkled amongst the uh, socialist elitism at this conference. I don't know what the answer is to that. I'll try and get to the bottom of it. But you're exactly right, River, a very different approach to Davos and the WEF in 2024. Now, in his first speech as British Defence Minister last Monday, Grant Chaps described the UK as a leading global military power, citing the country's record £50 billion defence budget, its recent airstrikes on Houthi forces in Yemen, and Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's announcement of a £2.5 billion military aid package for Ukraine last week. Now, worryingly, he effectively argued that World War III is imminent. Is that the sort of thing you do when you come in as a newly crowned Defence Secretary? I'm not so sure. My next guest will discuss this and a whole heap of other global topics. Stuart J. Hooper is a lecturer in political science and PhD researcher. He studies the military-industrial complex, elites, war and globalism, and is published on numerous websites and in academic journals and provides regular commentary on foreign policy news on this YouTube channel and also X profile. Uh, Stuart joins us live from Lawton, Oklahoma. Stuart Hooper, welcome back to TNT. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you as well, Chris. Great to be back here with you. Um, and yeah, this thing that you've mentioned with uh, the British Defence Minister, this is something that I've been covering extensively over the past week. Um, it actually kind of flew under the radar on a lot of levels, what he was actually saying, which I evaluated as it was a declaration that World War Three is not only imminent, but guess what? You are going to be paying for it and you are going to be fighting it, whether you like it or not. And he specifically listed Russia, China, Iran, Iran, 
India, Russia, um, as if these um, countries could be brought to heel by the um, the power of the British military or just by the, the British will, so to speak. Um, and the calling back to all of these, of course, historic moments of World War II. And we've done this before and we will we will rise to the occasion as we've done before. Well, this unfortunately is not the world of before. This is a very different world. This is a world where Russia and China, uh, India, Iran can fight back and they can fight back effectively. And that is precisely what they are doing in multiple theaters around the world right now. But great to be back with you, Chris. Uh, really appreciate the invite to return. Good to have you with us. So what do you make of Grant Shapps? There he is boasting about the amount of money they're throwing at Ukraine, the amount of um, force they're throwing in the Middle East. Um very hawkish, um, very superior, and I would have thought not the kind of thing that people in Britain need to hear. Precisely not what they need to hear. Um, I'm from Britain. I now live in the United States. Uh, Britain is going through a disastrous economic time right now uh, on many levels, inflation, of course, being a key factor in all of that. Yeah. Um, but this is um, really the... The, the hubris of the Western world, of Western military interventionism, um, that still apparently has either not learned its lessons or the same people are still in charge. So you might think that after the disasters of Iraq and Afghanistan, that, you know, maybe you would look at that um, multi-trillion dollar disaster um, and the amount of people that have died there and the fact that zero objectives um, were achieved in those conflicts. Um, and that's not even going into the wider war on terror where you could look at Pakistan and Somalia and God knows however other many places around the world. Again, no real achieved objectives whatsoever. Um, so if they're not learning from this, the same people must be in charge. And that is precisely my analysis. It's the same elites in charge, the same globalist interests that are pushing forward here, full speed ahead um, at the expense of literally everyone and everything else. Yeah. Um, I would have thought if I was a Brit, I'd like to hear my new defence secretary talk about what they're doing to prevent World War Three. Not that exactly. uh, not that we can contribute, we're powerful, we can be part of World War Three because it's imminent. I, I don't want to hear that. But anyway, um, sometimes politicians get it all wrong and I don't think that, that they seem to be in the same spot as the British public, who are doing it tough at the moment. They don't want billions and billions spent in Ukraine where they can see that this is a useless attempt to take hold of a uh, hold of Russia and beat Russia. I don't think they appreciate that at all. Um as no, just, but can I just brief just briefly on that. Do. Um yeah, when you um when you live in a country where you can go to London, for example, and you can walk down the streets of London, and one of the first things that you're going to encounter are homeless people lining the streets. Yeah, the people of Britain uh, don't need billions of dollars being sent overseas. They need it being spent at home. Same in the United States as well. And Shaps in that speech, and I actually clipped this, and you can watch it on my X profile. Um, he said that the the, uh, the era of the peace dividend is over. One sec. Um, what peace dividend? Where where was this? Did I did I miss this somewhere? <laughs> um, did everybody else miss this? The United States has missed this, of course, uh, since uh, World War Two. It has never had a peace dividend. The UK has occasionally had a peace dividend here and there. The NHS stuff like this. The US has never had it. Um, so yeah, they are full speed ahead. This is um, what's going to happen. And you better get ready to pay for it. You better get ready to die for it. We're not going to solve the problem. We're just going to throw you into it head first. Yeah. 
Well, Warwick has just sent me a note on our chat box, one of our viewers, and Warwick says, I'm going to go and sit on an island in the Philippines while the world kills each other. I think we're uh, we're with Warwick. We might be coming along to the same island. As reported, Stuart, by Sana News Agency, an Israeli airstrike on Saturday hit a residential building in Syria's capital city, Damascus, killing several people. Uh, what could Israel's military aggression towards Syria unleash? Like, what's the potential for this? So what we're seeing here is a gradual escalation and gradual um, increase in involvement of numerous regional and global actors. Mm. Now, eventually, this will reach the crescendo point of a world war, regional war scenario. And we're seeing this play out. Um, in one of my classes last week, um, I was trying to do a brief discussion on the current state of the world and these tit-for-tat escalations between all of the sides in the Middle East. Um, it took over three quarters of the class session, far longer than I was expecting, because this is rapidly um, spiraling out of control. We're seeing Israel does something. Iran or Iran's proxies respond, and then Israel responds, then Iran responds, then Israel responds, and it goes around and around and around and around in a circle. Now, the issue is... Iran is fully capable of responding to all of this. Now, Iran's major response was, of course, to the British and American attack on Yemen and the Houthis. So Britain and the US thought that, as always, we can just blow something up and the problem's going to go away. Um, we had a, again, you can find this on the top of my X profile in the last video that I did, Biden on camera being asked what what are these strikes achieving and he says well no they're not actually um preventing what the houthis are doing but we're going to keep doing it anyway so absolute admission of failure from the president of the united states which is interesting at least but um not where we want to be so the issue is iran then launched attacks onto iraq Syria, and also Pakistan. Now, yeah. I think this attack into Pakistan, this was more of an interesting one, more nuanced, I think, here. They did hit this uh, militant group that has apparently been dormant for quite a few months, not really doing too much. Um, so that was probably more for a domestic audience because Iran, of course, suffered this terror attack on President um, General Soleimani's uh, memorial service, um, the general that was killed in a drone strike by Trump and the Trump that's, administration. That's right, yeah. Yeah, over 100 Iranians were killed at this. So I think that striking to Pakistan, that was the Iranian government saying, hold up, we can still protect you, we can still defend you, yeah. we can go and attack militants. The strikes into Iraq and Syria were a message to the United States. Because what is in the United what is in Iraq and Syria right now? American troops. This was a message saying that if you keep this up, we can hit you where you are. Um, and believe it, that's it. That is exactly what is going to happen. And we had this reported strike now on a, an American base uh, in Iraq over the weekend. Yeah, exactly. Um, I want to talk further about this. I've got to go to a break for news. I want to talk about Iran and also a little bit of Russia as well to get your analysis on both those areas and those governments. But we'll take some news, Stuart. Stuart Hooper, my special guest on the program today. Let's go to the newsroom on TNT. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a quick look at your TNT headlines. The UN has condemned Ukraine for shelling a busy market in Russia's Donetsk People's Republic, killing 27 civilians. 
Donald Trump is one step closer to securing the Republican presidential nomination after yet another one of his rivals dropped out of the race. And Britain's Royal Navy has been left red-faced after video went viral showing two of its warships colliding in the Middle East. Globalist agendas, democratic rights at risk, corruption, propaganda, it never stops. For the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations, vote one. TNT Radio. Free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. Stuart Hooper, my guest on the program. I want to talk again about this Iranian strike on a number of other areas, including on Iraq, and uh, a conflict that Iran is basically shown a willing willingness to, to participate in all at the same time, almost as if, you know, they can um, they can walk and chew gum at the same time. Several American troops sustained minor injuries, and one member of the Iraqi security forces was badly wounded in this attack on Saturday on a military base in Western Iraq used by US-led coalition forces. That's intentional. The Pentagon says Iranian-backed rebels were behind this missile attack. So Iran is quite happy, as you've just said, to show America that they are up for the fight. But are they capable of fighting to the degree that America is? Excellent question. So I think um, in the grand scheme of things, if we get a pit, Iran versus the United States, and if you allow an indefinite amount of time to play out here, the US is going to come out on top. So that is going to be what plays out here. Assuming, of course, it is just the US and Iran and nobody else steps in. Mm. Um, but you can complicate that a little. Um, if the US wants to do this, um, it's going to suffer massive casualties, mass loss of life, mass loss of equipment, ships, tanks, you name it. Because again, Iran has the technologies to do massive damage. Will it eventually uh, lose? Yes, but it's going to take a long time. This isn't going to be a 21-day steamrollering like it was in Iraq. Um, why did that happen to Iraq? Well, because Iraq was under sanctions for um, a very long time, um, over a, well over a decade in the lead-up to the Iraq war. And Stuart, um, as and you've just hinted, as you've just hinted, if they are there on their own taking on the US, mm -hmm. because we've got this axis, this... Um, I guess, tri-packed between Iran, Russia, and China. Yeah, exactly. So this is what complicates it. We now live in a world also where Russia has said we are ready, willing, and able to get militarily involved with geopolitical conflicts. And they, of course, made this statement primarily with their intervention in Syria and then the invasion of Ukraine. Um, the real question is whether or not they still have the uh, the military capabilities to really be able to go and defend Iran or help Iran right now. That may be a little tough on some levels, considering what they are doing in Ukraine. Yeah. Um, but if the Russians can't do it directly, well, who's been helping the Russians? 
the, the North Koreans have been helping the Russians with their military supplies. And I'm sure Putin would get on the phone with North Korea and say, now it's time for you to help Iran too, um, North Korea. It's time for you to help them um, in their struggle um, against the United States, which, of course, is how they're going to frame all of this. Now, the, the problem overall, though, um, is that if we lived in a world that did not have the war on terror that did not have over two decades of military disaster in the Middle East, untold numbers of dead, untold really amounts of money that was spent on this in the grand scheme of things. The US, the West, um, the UK, they would actually have some moral high ground to stand upon and say, this is wrong. You can't invade other countries. You can't just blow people up and expect to get what you want. Problem is, they did this for over two decades. And I actually saw this last week. One of Israel's key spokesmen, Mark Regev, he actually noted this in an interview. He said, well, this is nothing different than what the United States did. Well, there you go. That just sums it up. Exactly. Uh, Russian Foreign Ministry spokeswoman Maria Zakharova says, it's not a surprise that Germany has decided to defend Israel in this genocide case in the International Court of Justice. On Sunday, she said it comes against the backdrop of the unconditional support that Berlin always provides Israel, regardless of consequences. Why does Israel receive such unconditional support from Germany, do you think? Yeah, I mean, this is a pretty self-explanatory thing. I mean, this is just tied to history, right? This is the history of Germany, the history of feeling like it still owes the Jewish people some remedy, um, some um, That's solution. still existent in 2024. Yeah, no, that absolutely still exists. I mean, historical, you should, you should never um, underestimate the impact of historical memory. Um, I mean, we see this throughout the world. I mean, you see this in Ireland, um, parts of Russia, even parts of Spain, where you have these different breakaway uh, regions, right? They want to govern themselves. So this the, the impact of historical memory is really important and can definitely push states um, in directions that might not necessarily seem to be rational. Um, but and that's an important point really um, within the academic field as well. There's this whole idea that rationality is what guides states and they therefore act in a realist manner. They consider their own self-interest. Well, not always, right? The states are not always rational. Sometimes they do base things on uh, things that could be completely irrational. Mm. Um, but you can really see this playing through with uh, Germany's public broadcaster, DW News. So if you go and watch any of their videos on YouTube, um, they were pretty good on some international um, incidents, pretty good on the war in Ukraine and criticizing what was going on there. But when it comes to um, what's happened with Israel and Gaza, um, I'd say it's like 80, 90% pro-Israel um, in terms of their right. coverage there. So it's um, it's a big swing and you can really notice it. Corrective habits die hard, I guess. Now, I want to talk politics, US politics. On Friday in New Hampshire, Donald Trump said, former US ambassador to the UN, Nikki Haley, does not have the capacity for high-level politics. She's not tough enough for the job. He said she's not going to be able to deal with President Xi. She's not going to be able to deal with Putin. I think he's probably hit on a point that many Americans hear and think, well, he might be right there. We haven't seen her that convincing in that kind of company, except when she was in the UN she made some very impressive speeches and was very rousing, but we haven't seen her operate directly with those two international leaders, have we? 
No, so she would absolutely be um, a puppet, let's say, with, um, um, let's say, various people in control of what she's doing. We'll try and keep it family friendly in how we frame this. Um, but the point being, um, she has spent extensive time with the military industrial complex, something that I focus on and study extensively. Um, and she has really made it known um, that she wants to be Russia's number one enemy. She wants to be China's number one enemy. Um, the world is going to respect an America under Nikki Haley. Um, well, yeah, only because you are going to be um, controlled by a military industrial complex that's going to push you and your government and your administration into World War III. Yeah. That's the bottom line of what you're going to get with Nikki Haley. It's going to be a disaster. It's going to be uh, kind of like what Hillary Clinton would have played out like. If you would have got Hillary Clinton, we probably would have gotten a war with Iran well before now we probably would have got perhaps even a direct confrontation with russia um even before now um so we'll see what happens and especially on foreign policy trump comes from a position of success moderate success maybe even extreme success in areas like north korea etc so we've seen who he can rub shoulders with and what influence he's had whereas nikki haley you know yeah well, totally and utterly untested in those waters. Yeah, no, I I'm, I would uh, say that Trump definitely had some foreign policy successes, some failures. Um, I think just the, the very fact that he was willing to go against foreign policy orthodoxy. Um, yeah. In other words, North Korea is the complete enemy and we can't even talk to these people. He actually crossed the border yeah. into North Korea, actually shook hands with him and all this sort of stuff. Some of that was positive. Um, what you just really needed Trump to do was go even further, um, throw these people like John Bolton, throw them to the gutter where they belong, um, get some new voices in there, um, stop relying on these th this old guard of foreign policy elites that think that they they know how to do this um, when they couldn't really win the Cold War. Russia collapsed and won it for them. Uh, they couldn't win any of the conflicts in the Cold War. They couldn't win. Um, they couldn't really win the Cold War. Russia collapsed and won it for them. Uh, they couldn't win any of the conflicts in the Cold War. They couldn't win um, the war on terror. Era, why bring these people back? You need to clear house. If he really wants to drain the swamp, um, the foreign policy establishment would be a great place to start. Yeah. While we're talking about candidates, the big news today is that Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor, has withdrawn. He suspended his campaign. Um, just before we ask, before I ask a question pertinent to DeSantis, let's have a listen to some of his announcement. I am today suspending my campaign. I'm proud to have delivered on 100% of my promises, and I will not stop now. It's clear to me that a majority of Republican primary voters want to give Donald Trump another chance. They watch his presidency get stymied by relentless resistance, and they see Democrats using lawfare this day to attack him. Well, I've had disagreements with Donald Trump, such as on the coronavirus pandemic and his elevation of Anthony Fauci. Trump is superior to the current incumbent, Joe Biden. That is clear. I signed a pledge to support the Republican nominee, and I will honor that pledge. He has my endorsement because we can't go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear, a repackage formed of warmed over corporatism that Nikki Haley represents. The days of putting Americans last, of kowtowing to large corporations, of caving to woke ideology are over. Interesting. And in uh, a reciprocal approach, Trump has decided that he no longer calls Ron DeSantis Ron 
to sanctimonious, which is very kind of him. Um, having said that, do the numbers of Ramaswamy and DeSantis go to Nikki Haley? And even if they did, so what? Yeah, I mean, potentially um, it could just be um, the the anti-Trump Republican wing, but um, but not like enough numbers. Said, there's not enough. There's not enough critical mass in those numbers. No, exactly. It's, yeah. uh, it was always going to be Trump. I mean, I watched the first couple of Republican debates. In fact, that's probably even a lie. I watched the first one, part of the second one, because what's really the point, right? We know what's going on here. Trump's going to get the nomination no matter what. Um, something interesting just about Trump generally and what's happened with him, all of these indictments, these charges, these, these uh, trials, all of the court drama that's been going on. If you cannot understand... That to the average person, that makes Trump look like he's being attacked by the government. You don't understand politics. And unfortunately, I just see so many commentators, so many so-called experts that think, well, how could people still vote for Trump with all of these um, things that are going on against him? Well, it's because they think the government's going after him. They don't trust the government. Yes, don't, they don't trust don't, lawfare. Exactly, exactly. So this is just, uh, it's mind-boggling on on some levels that people just can't even understand this. Yeah, very true. I, I want to uh, switch topics now to free speech and some of these disinformation, misinformation, hate laws that seem to come in these clever packages that are really designed to control the masses and stop free speech, stop people having uh, an alternate view to the government's narrative. Uh, in the name of free speech, there's an important campaign opposing Ireland's hate speech bill. Have a listen to what they put together. The Irish government is proposing a law known as the hate speech bill that threatens free speech. This law could have dire consequences for our democracy. Next month, next month, and then this law will have uncertain effects on artistic and musical expression. Please support us. It could stifle the activity of public campaigning on political and civil issues and also curtail speech relating to topics about religion, ethnicity, sex and gender. You could even be jailed for possessing documents, cartoons or memes on your devices, even if you never read them or intended on sharing them. Mere possession could make you a criminal under this law. Help stop this law. Visit www freespeechireland.ie forward slash take action to bend the hate speech bill. Correct me if I'm wrong, Stuart, but in Australia, in the UK and in the United States, and I don't know the case in Ireland, but aren't there defamation, contempt, um, hate speech rules in place that can pull people up for stepping over the line? We don't need any more, surely. Yeah, I mean, this is um, this has been really an issue uh, for I'd say probably uh, a decade or so, but it really became prominent during the COVID crisis, and we saw that online only certain narratives were allowed to be spread online regarding COVID and what was going on with that. And one of the big incidents that happened there was these you had these two or three doctors out in California that said, "This is what we're seeing. This is what the government's telling us, and this way it doesn't line up." And YouTube basically banned that. Um, content from being shared yeah. um, because it didn't go along with the government line. So yeah, this is uh, something that's been growing for a very long time. Um, like you said, in Australia, in the UK, in Canada, 
again, also not so sure on Ireland. There are these hate speech laws. Um, the US is really the only place that has true freedom of speech. Because if you're really thinking about freedom of speech on a fundamental level, um, causing offense, well, that would be included in freedom of speech. Um, that would just be kind of how that goes. And, and you see that in the United States. Mm. Now, does that lead to some outlandish, outrageous things that go on? Yes. You get things like the Ku Klux Klan, things that no nobody likes, nobody endorses on a grand scale. They exist. Um, but why don't they exist on a grand scale? Because you have opposite speech that can also be spoken against them and yeah. wins the debate. So yeah. that's how free speech is supposed to work. Um, I think um, the UK, Australia, I think these are places that really need to go back to that. They need to find their free speech roots. They need to find their roots in classical liberalism. Yeah, I think you're entirely right. And hopefully the good fight is waged strongly in Ireland to prevent something similar. Stuart J. Hooper, great to have you on the program again. Um, thank you for your time. Thanks a lot, Chris. As always, happy to be here. Appreciate it. Good on you. Stuart J. Hooper, lecturer in political science and PhD researcher. Good to have him on the program. It kind of went everywhere. Um, took a shotgun approach to a few things. I still think that what we heard from the Defence Secretary in the UK is just over the top and the kind of thing that Brits right now don't want to hear. They don't want to hear how willing their government is to spend trillions to places in Ukraine to send money over to the Middle East. They don't want to hear that right now, especially not right now. And they don't want to hear that we've got an imminent World War Three happening. They want to hear their government do things that will prevent World War Three. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Give me a call on the talkback lines from the US or Canada on 1-888-201-6425 from the UK, 033-0024-1026 and from Australia or New Zealand, 1-800-670-310. This is Chris Smith on TNT. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. The question isn't why globalist, Democrat Party mega-donor, and Epstein Islander Reed Hoffman is providing so much financial support for Nikki Haley's campaign. The question is, why is Nikki taking the money? The answer, of course, is because Nikki's uniparty. She's GOPE to her core. She's for tearing down Confederate statues and changing Confederate flags. She's for digital ID, and she's absolutely against the principles of America First. She's against shutting down foreign wars. She's against shutting down our border. She's against all the things that make America great. See, the globalists allow us to have the illusion of choice, a few window dressing differences between the parties to stimulate people to cheer for Team Red or for Team Blue. But on the issues that really matter, the financial issues that matter to them, all these politicians are all the same, regardless of whether they have an R or a D after their name. We deserve better, and we need to demand better. Nikki Haley should never be allowed near the levers of power ever again. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. I said, could she die? And the doctor said she could. It was so scary. When I started clawing at my neck and trying to breathe and I thought, you know, what are we going to do if I die here? 
how's everyone going to go on? When someone's gravely sick or injured in the bush, they rely on the Royal Flying Doctor service. But now the Flying Doctor needs your help to fund vital medical equipment and supplies. Please search Flying Doctor online to give a regular gift of just $10. You can help equip the Flying Doctor's teams to respond to any emergency anywhere. Search Flying Doctor online. Become a part of the Royal Flying Doctor service and help save lives in the bush. Where the story goes, we follow. Chris Smith on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. And we'll actually get you a news bulletin in about eight minutes' time. Interesting, we spoke on the program about three quarters of an hour ago about the WHO. And you had the WHO going down the path of their twisted gender identity program and policy. They think that they should have a say in what goes on in schools on this matter, right around the world. Talk about an overreach. Get your cotton pick and hands out of our schools. That's not what we want you to do. As a matter of fact, if you want to disband, maybe you'd make us all happy. But it's interesting, they were actually at the WEF, WHO, as you'd imagine. And, uh, you know, Tedros Gebriasis, the fellow who's the Director General, who we saw far too much during the pandemic. He was there to express his views on just about everything, including scaring the producers out of everyone at the WEF about the next pandemic. And Fox News has been looking at this as well. Fox News has been watching Tedros very carefully and about, and they were making commentary, I noticed over the weekend, some of the hosts there about the fact that they were willing this second pandemic to come on. And I get that feeling, the fact that you can, continually without any evidence they're not putting up any evidence they're just saying the next pandemic is here we're going to call it x um and gee it sounds like as if they are desperate to have it happen so that they could exercise their power over the rest of the world and the rest of the world's governments but the who director general said in davos and i'm about to play you a clip to show you what he said that COVID-19 may have been our first disease X. Why use words like first disease X? It just happened to be a pandemic. Um, there was a pandemic in the early 1900s. So you could hardly say that COVID was the first X. Anyway, and uh, he says that scientists and experts are actively learning from that experience. Well, maybe they should learn not to cover up the origins of a pandemic like they did with China. But anyway, that's a discussion for another day. But just listen to the way, without citing evidence, as I say, they talk about this next pandemic is coming. It is gross. There are things that are unknown that may happen. And anything happening is a matter of when, not if. And that was when we gave the name disease X. Um, so disease X is a placeholder for uh, unknown um, disease. You, you may even call COVID as the first disease X. And it may happen again. All of that is just jibber. It's not a matter of if it happens, it's a matter of when. Really? 
Um, how do you know where's your evidence? Where's it coming from? Why? And what have you really learnt from the first pandemic, seeing that you haven't been able to go inside that lab? You've learnt nothing. The WHO has learnt nothing from that lab. They firstly tried to cover up the most likely source of the virus. And then they're not allowed by China, they're pally wallies from Beijing. They're not allowed to go inside the Wuhan lab. So they've learned nothing. They've certainly learned nothing about locking people down, which didn't work. They've certainly learned nothing about putting masks on us all, which didn't work. Anyway, it's interesting to get that view. That's the sort of view that was expressed at WEF, which is why I'm very, very happy to have the likes of the CEO of the Heritage Foundation and the new Argentinian president get up on the podium at the WEF and tell them a little bit of a few home truths and some common sense. I thought that was outstanding. Now, news out of San Francisco, if you're an Apple user, you're going to love this. If you're an Android Samsung user like myself, you're going to go, oh, so what? Uh, Apple is the world's biggest smartphone maker officially according to researcher IDC, taking the crown from Samsung, the South Korean electronics giant. It is the first time in 12 years that Apple has gained the title after the iPhone maker accounted for more than a fifth of phones shipped last year. You know, some of that might be due, and I've spoken to Alex about this on the show, the fact that during COVID, Apple was hit harder than what Samsung was because of the origins of the parts. That is, most of the stuff comes out of China, uh, which was locked down to the nth degree. And so people couldn't buy their new iPhones. And maybe they're just catching up after the pandemic. That could be the case. This could just be a rebalancing of purchases for smartphones. Anyway, IDC said Samsung took 19.4% of the market share, followed by Chinese phone makers Xiaomi and Oppo and Transient. But um, according to IDC, Apple sold more than 234 million phones last year. That's even hard to fathom to think about it. Uh, Almost 1.2 billion smartphones were sold last year, IDC said a drop of more than 3% year on year, the lowest in a decade. Well, because everyone's doing it as tough as. Do politicians need any more proof when we stop buying an updated version of a new phone when we normally would? There's the proof that people are doing it tough, that inflation is high, and that there's a cost of living crisis that's hitting uh, our pockets. So there you go. But Apple will be very happy first time in 12 years. They come out on top. And Samsung will be there getting back to the drawing board, no doubt trying to hit back. Um, Just a quick comment um, about what we discussed before. Uh, Stuart Hooper has got some very positive feedback on our chat box, I've noticed. I just wanted to mention that. It's good to have Stuart on the program because he is able to get across a multiplicity of subjects, which is very handy when you're trying to get to the bigger stories that day. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm hearing the positive feedback. So we'll get Stuart on for sure. Um, I don't know whether you've been following farmers' protests, but last week I was giving you a blow-by-blow description of what the German farmers were doing in this mammoth long five-day protest against some of the taxes that are being brought in and some of the elements that the uh, German government were following to save the planet from climate change. 
Well, the French farmers are back doing it again. Have a look for it. Search up the story. But you'll see that they blocked Highway A64 near Toulouse for a third consecutive day. And this has nailed that part of France. France. So they're all jumping on. And if you don't listen to the farmers, you won't get your feed. You won't get your production. But we'll watch that very closely for you in the days ahead. The French teaming up now with the German farmers. Got to take a break. Be back straight after that with a whole heap more right here on TNT. TNT.